0: Let's uh, get a crack in here with my man, handicapper extraordinaire, just all-around sports guru, Scott Spritzer.
1: Scott, what's going on, man? I'm just sitting here listening to these coaching hires, and I'm like, first of all, I don't know why you would want Bill Belichick, the guy's like a 450 career head coaching record before and after Tom Brady. <laughs> um, the other one was, well, unless you had a great quarterback. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh interviewed there once. And he was scheduled to interview there twice and he canceled it because I'm sure he had already made up his mind that he would like to coach Justin Herbert over Desmond Ritter. You know, so good luck, Raheem Morris. Good luck, Atlanta Falcons fans. You've now got Desmond Ritter coached by Raheem Morris. That ought to get you three wins. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's just crazy. What will that do
0: for attendance figures as well, too?
1: Oh, my gosh. I'd be so not excited. I'd rather have Dan Quinn back. You know, (laughs) I mean, but if you're going to have a quarterback like Desmond Ritter, you've got to have a coach who can coach up the quarterbacks. So are they going to go out, and if they haven't yet, hire some amazing OC who's got a reputation of a quarterback whisperer? I mean, that's what they would need now to have any chance of doing anything two years down the road. So, boy, I just I would not want to be a Falcon fan right now. I love the fact that the Chargers rolled out the red carpet, emptied the bank trucks for Jim Harbaugh because, my gosh, this team will be winning out of the blocks. Justin Herbert, that offensive talent around him coached, by Harbaugh and the people he brings in with him, that's going to be, uh, I've always wanted to be a Charger fan. I'm not a fan of any team. I'm a fan of the league. But when I'm not betting against them, I've always wanted to be a Charger fan, and now I think I can be. (laughs) Hey, back to the Atlanta situation. Where's Jerry Glanville? Bring back Jerry Glanville. Come on. (laughs) I'd love to see. I heard his name popping up somewhere. I didn't even know he was still around. 81 years old, by the way. Eighty one? Is that what you said? Yeah, 81. No, yeah eighty one. No, didn't even. Eighty two. Yeah, I know he did some stuff. I think in NASCAR a while back. I think that was the last time I heard of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a great guy! What a what a character! <laughs> I think I'd take him over Raheem Morris at eighty two. <laughs> yeah,
0: unbelievable. Yeah, it is crazy what we're seeing here, and you know, so Scott, you are old enough to remember this, and I was thinking about this earlier today, where this trend in pretty much all sports, but specifically football, where you have got. The unproven coach that gets the head coaching job, unproven offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, whatever it is. And they get the keys to this multi-billion dollar car and they get basically two to three years to prove themselves at a discount rate. Now we see major league baseball go that routine, you know, where, okay, we'll bring up the bench coach. Hitting coach, whatever it is, third base coach occasionally, we'll get all that. But back in the day, remember, spe- especially in the NBA, where you would see Dick Mata, Cotton Fitzsimmons, you know, just, you just see the recycling. You had to have head coaching experience to get a job. You know, you right. and we would make fun of those guys. Oh, here, oh, there goes Cotton Fitzsimmons. There goes Dick Motta to this team. You know, and like Dick Motta would be with a different team, like every three or four years or whatever. But he, he, when he went somewhere, you're going, well, they're going to be pretty good because you know this guy's got an experience. He's been to finals and that sort of thing. But you never saw that progression what we see now. And now they just really kind of just discount altogether. You know, a, a former head coach. Like, you know, let's say Marvin Lewis, for example, if Marvin Lewis was living in the, in the seventies or the eighties, this guy would be the head coach of about four different teams in the last, you know, 15 years. You know what I mean? Sure. And I'd yep. rather have a guy like that than an experiment because over and over again, it's just an experiment. We know what's going to happen. What's going to happen in Tennessee? What's going to happen in Jacksonville? What's going to happen in Atlanta? Okay, three years, you're going to be going through the whole thing over. And that's why I really kind of wanted to see them go with Belichick because at least you, know, you are hiring – an experienced head coach, a guy that gets it, and sure, he might ask for a lot of money. He's going to ask for um, you know, control over certain things. Okay, well, why don't you try something different, Atlanta, because it hasn't worked out for you or these teams that we're talking about. It hasn't worked out with this experimentation of going with a young guy with no experience, and he doesn't know how to play calls. He's always fighting the
1: the play clock. I mean, come on. Yeah, if they were going to hire Bill Belichick, the one thing I would do is say, okay, I've got to – very good defensive mind, bring in a terrific and proven offensive coordinator uh, because Bill is not a great offensive mind. Right. And so he would have to – and plus he's a little bit older. Listen, I'm getting older too, so I can say these things. You know, it's like you were mentioned. you know, inexperienced managers and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, of course, me being out here and being a fan of who I'm a fan of yeah. – you know, I'm thinking Phil Nevin. Why in the world did the Angels hire Phil Nevin as their manager after they got rid of Joe Madden? You know, and now it's Ron Washington, who I think is 93,000 years old. You know, so if you're going to bring a coach, a manager, whatever, who's a little bit older, I think you got to go with the guy who's proven, has been a proven winner. I mean, the Chargers just, they just stole, you know, the best college football coach of the last several years along, well, I'm saying second to Nick Saban. And then also not only that, but they're going to be, they've got a top-five head NFL coach before, they, before he even arrives in San Diego. And that's what I'm doing, man. Just If you're going to be in this game to win it, in it to win it, as they always say, go out and get me a head coach who has a proven track record. D'Amico Ryan's good hire in Houston. He had a great track record as a defensive coordinator. You know, And he's doing well, but I don't, I don't, know, I don't know about Raheem Morris. I just... I just think, like, oh, well, we didn't get Jim Harbaugh. Um, we didn't get Bill Belichick. Maybe he refused behind closed doors. Who's next? You know, it's like almost like they just settled for third or fourth string on their list. And it just drives me crazy. Go out, pay the money, get a proven winner as head coach, or get a proven guy like a Kyle Shanahan who we knew what he was bringing to San Francisco with his offensive mind because he had proven it elsewhere. And everywhere that he went when he left, they got worse on offense. And so you've got to bring somebody and prove it. I don't get it. I just don't get it.
0: Exactly. And I'm with you, then. You know, a lot of people say, well, you're anti-offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. I'm okay with those guys. Getting elevated to a head coach, if like you said, they have the experience and they prove themselves. But just because, hey, you're the hot defensive coordinator and your defense, uh, you know, finished in the top 10 when maybe they weren't expected to, well, there's a lot of factors with that. Okay. Maybe, sure. maybe the offense, uh, outperformed. Maybe you had a soft schedule, you know, all, the, all those things factor in. But when these guys sit in interviews, and I know the, the process for an NFL head coach. You know, what that interview process is like. I mean, it it can be brutal. I mean, if you have an experienced president or GM, the first thing they're going to ask you is like, okay, what is our, uh, what is your vision for our football team, uh, for three years from down the road? Okay. Now lay out the OTAs for me. Lay out the, uh, you know, your progression of your practice plan, this and that. Oh, and by the way, tell me how well you know, and this is where it really starts, how well you know, our personnel and what is your vision uh, for each guy in at least each position group and you know some of these guys i'm going like okay when they get asked those questions if they do how can they even answer it because they have zero experience whatsoever but again well he's cheap um you know we we kind of like what he's doing schematically and uh you know he's, he's, he's we've heard he's you know pretty good in the locker room maybe he played the game for six seven eight years okay fine but but like with Atlanta, I mean, they have gone through this same uh, situation over and over again. You, try something different. Do something yeah. different. That's awesome. Well, if
1: you're going to hire a coordinator, like let's say, for instance, D'Amico Ryans, you know, he, he had a proven track record in yes. San Francisco on defense. Yeah. And you can go, I mean, if first of all, I want to see three years experience if I'm going to hire a coordinator. And if he's supposed to be this defensive guru, then I want to go back in and I want to see, okay, for three seasons – how did his teams do uh, in red zone defensive success rate? How did they do in things like that? You know, I'm talking about serious metrics. And if it's great over three years or really good over three years, then I know that, you know, it was more than a flash in a pan or maybe a soft schedule that they played for one year and the other two years he was a bust. You know, all of a sudden they had a good year because of how things set up for them schedule-wise. So that's why I like the D'Amico Ryan's hire. I mean, you you knew this guy was going to bring a great defensive mind. And so if I have, like, for instance, a defensive-minded coach that I hire as a head coach, I want to bring in a proven offensive mind. Got to be a guy who can take over the offensive play calling and run the show on that side of the football. I'm all about offense when it comes to hiring a head coach. But if I have to go the defensive route, they better have a three-year track record of being top, let's say, seven or eight in the league in the most important, the most key metrics, which are things like red zone success rate on defense, passing yards allowed per attempt, things like that, yards after catch allowed. If they've done that for three years, I'll hire him. But Raheem Morris, come on. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm blown away by that hire. And I've been looking at college basketball and everything else, and I didn't even know he got hired until I got on the show today. And I'm sitting there just kind of flabbergasted.
0: I know. It is crazy. All right, man, let's uh talk about the meaningful games coming up uh this weekend. Quick uh we haven't talked since uh, last weekend's divisional round though. What was uh what was your take on the divisional round? Congratulations and 0 for Scott Spritzer. The only one that went 2-0 on her best bets last week. Very good, my friend.
1: I was real happy, thanks. It was uh it's been a nice playoffs thus far, 5 and 2 overall. And again, like you said last week, I had my top play of the postseason on the Ravens last week and uh, they were a little funky in the first half. But if you look at, you know, Houston's one touchdown came on special teams. Other than that, the Ravens did what I hoped they would, which was completely shut down a very good and potentially great quarterback who's in his rookie season playing against the best defense he's seen all year. So it worked out well. I was happy that uh, obviously that. You know, both the games we talked about here were able to win and, and able to go five and two thus far. You
0: got it. All right, my friend. Let's uh let's get into it here. Kansas City and Baltimore, Sunday, twelve noon. I know that everyone loves to uh, kind of handicap a little bit. The last thing that they saw and what they saw from Baltimore was, wow, this team really struggled in the first half. Okay, they were coming off the bye. Again, they rested their starters, so maybe they got warmed up a little bit. That's kind of a conventional you know, narrative that we always hear. And now it's like, okay, well, they look pretty good in the second half. Now they're at home. Okay, they're rolled. Then we look at Kansas City, and people are going to say, wow, they went into Buffalo. And they took care of business and the defense uh you know stepped up and uh, you know Patrick Mahomes looked like vintage Patrick Mahomes. Oh, the Chiefs are getting three and a half points. Hmm. Uh sounds like there's a lot of money on Kansas City right now, but uh again, this is this is a game where I think you can make the argument, Scott, for for both sides. I'm very curious how you are capping this game.
1: Well, I jumped in on Baltimore at three and a half. So it's gotten up to four in a lot of books now. Most of the books, I'd say, uh, both here in town and out, outside of Nevada, I, I would say at least 75, 80% are on uh, Baltimore, which has moved it up to four and a lot of joints. And that's what I did. I laid the three and a half here. Um, I could talk about this game all day. I'll start with Kansas City's red zone issues. They've struggled all season to get the ball in the end zone. We all know that. And we've seen it again for most of the eight quarters in the postseason. I went back and I looked at the last four games for Kansas City, so the two playoff games, the two regular season games to end the season, and in their last 21 scoring drives over four games, they've had to kick field goals 14 times. That's how those scoring drives have ended. Seven touchdowns, 14 field goals in the red zone. So they're still not doing well in the red zone. Only seven of those drives reached pay dirt. Then you got Baltimore. They head into the AFC Championship with the NFL's second best defensive red zone success rate. You've got excellent strength against weakness. And then, you know, Kansas City's receivers struggling all season just to catch Mahomes' passes. The Ravens are the number one team in the NFL, number one defense in yards per pass allowed, another strength versus weakness. They've about 21 or more points four times this entire season, that Ravens defense. Then I look at Casey's defensive struggles against the run. You know, they were getting their butts kicked on the ground by Buffalo last week. Yep. I was texting a couple of guys in our circle, and I was saying, you know, why did Buffalo stop running the football? You know, I mean, Josh Allen was great. He led the team in rushing. But Cook was running the football well. Um, even the fullback was running well. But he only got like seven carries. But he had like 40 yards, almost six yards per pop. They stopped running the football. Late third, early fourth, and I'm, I'm scratching my head going, why did they stop? Now they're throwing the ball on first and ten, second and eight, second and ten. And I'm like, this is ridiculously bad coaching. If you're the Buffalo Bills, I thought they let Casey's defense off the hook. Baltimore's number one in the league on the ground, 156 rushing yards per game. And I think you know it's obviously a rare instance when Kansas City doesn't have a coaching advantage. At best, it's equal. Uh, those are all the keys to the game for me, and I think the, the Ravens have the advantage in all of those categories I just mentioned. So I'm on the Ravens. I also like KC under 21 and a half points. It was about minus $1.40 a couple days ago when I jumped on this for all those reasons that I just mentioned. I get it that KC averaged over seven yards per play last week. That was a banged-up Bills defense. And then they played a banged-up and anemic Miami team the week before, anemic on the road as opposed to home. You know, and I mentioned last week, I think, that when you talk about good teams at this point when it comes to passing – We talk about teams that have completed over 61% of their pass attempts. The Ravens won 12 of the last 13 times, and in those games, they've averaged 30 points per game and given up 13. We saw it last week, 34 to 10, same type of score. I just think the Ravens are too tough. I love Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, a lock is a future Hall of Famer, can scare the heck out of you, can win a game almost on his own. I just don't think it's gonna happen this week against this Baltimore team.
0: Yeah, those are all valid strong points, and I agree with you on so many of those, Scott. And I know that, you know, after the game and looking even to the next day, I was thinking to myself, hmm, you know, I might take a shot with Kansas City, especially on a teaser, so I can get them up to to over you know, ten, ten and a half points. I'm going like that that makes a lot of sense. And then I started, you know, really diving into it and just hitting a lot of the points that you just said and I'm going like wait a minute here Baltimore could just really pound this team With the run game, and like you said, number one, averaging 156 yards per contest, and you know Buffalo was having success, you know running the football. Where Buffalo stopped and was, they got really predictable. Where they were just running on first down and were and would get stuffed at the line of scrimmage, especially from the third, you know, middle of third quarter on. And then they were in predictable downs, and and I didn't like that. And I think that that a lot that got a little blown up with a lot of people thinking, "Wow, look at how good Kansas City is." Uh, You know, they got Chris. Jones right there and and they, they, you know they stop the run. They really don't. I think they were like 17th uh, in the league uh, in run defense. And I just think this could be the big miss uh, the big mismatch and advantage for Baltimore here. And we know Harbaugh, you mentioned it. I agree. You got Andy Reid usually coaching advantage, but I put Harbaugh right there maybe even ahead of Andy Reid because he will come right at this Kansas City defense and it they have Multiple running backs. I mean, you got Gus Edwards that can run the football. You got other guys that can run the ball as well too. So I look at a ground and pound thing, which would really bode well for your underplay on Kansas City in under twenty one and a half. Last time these two teams played each other was two years ago, and it was a score fest. It was thirty six thirty five. But again, that was a much different Kansas City offense with Tyreek sure. Hill and others as well too. So you know, I've I've kind of switched a little bit, you know. And as much as I, I love to play the teasers here, I think I'm just going to go with Baltimore here, whether money line or or you know, you know. Now it's up to four. So like I said, yeah, you're not getting that three, three and a half. So it never was three. But you know what I'm saying?
1: I, I well, is, I'm with you. Is the good news too, TC. I mean, if you you know, I mean, it doesn't mean you can't lose by a hook or whatever. It happens. I think people overrate the hook on a three. And again, I get it. It's a key number. I've been doing this for 30 years. I understand all the numbers. But I'll tell you why I say that. People remember the bad beats. We all remember. I do, too. I remember my half-point losers. You know, I laid three and a half. They won by three. I took two and a half. They lost by three. I get it. And we remember the bad beats forever. But I wanted to point out that in the NFL, only about 8% of all the games of the last 30-plus years have come within the point spread. Have landed the final score within the point spread. And, and so it's almost a situation where we're affected by it. So I hear people like talking about, oh, I like so and so at three and a half. I'm going to buy the half point down to three. You're going to pay a buck 30 to buy something that happens 8% out of 100% yeah. of the time. So I, I just think if you like a side, you stick with it. Now, if this number jumped to six, we're, it's a different story. But it's three and a half, four. And there's plenty of three and a half, especially in Vegas. You can find 3 and three and a half just about anywhere in Vegas still, if you don't like the four, which, you know, to me, it's, you know, no big deal. Either one, I might get a push if it lands on four, I get that. But again, this, you know, am I going to be shocked if Patrick Mahomes comes out and has, you know, another unbelievable game and leads Casey to the upset? Absolutely not. Would I be shocked? It's Patrick Mahomes, it's Travis Kelsey. Uh, but I just, when you handicap the game, it, it, it screams Baltimore to me.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you said the exact same thing last week about the 8%. And I was thinking about you while we we're sitting there at the Westgate, in the Superbook, watching, uh, the Tampa Bay go for two. Like, oh, could it land on six? There it is. Oh no, <laughs> it lands on eight. <laughs> but, but the other games, yeah, not, not, not close. There it was. All right, man. Uh, Detroit in San Francisco, 330 on Sunday, San Francisco. A seven-point favorite. We know that Detroit uh, has been a, a great story, darling story, great, but let's uh – Let's slow the roll a little bit because Detroit is a little bit of a different team when they go on the road. I know San Francisco didn't look great last week. Purdy really didn't look good until that final drive. Uh, my thoughts are, Scott, that okay San Francisco's not going to play two games back-to-back like that. However, the Debo Samuel thing is a big deal. And as far as Detroit goes, I still have this stuck in my head that I remember the last time they played outdoors on grass. They went to Chicago about two months ago and got drilled 28-13, to and... They had a bunch of home games to close the regular season, two to start the playoffs, and their away games were Minnesota and Detroit basically inside. So I'm a little concerned about Detroit, and I know it's an old adage that we used to use this all the time, but
1: I think it might come into play here. Yeah, I could see that happening. And obviously you're not going to have freezing temps, so they don't have to worry about that. But, you know, the stats and the facts are what they are, and and they're playing outside. I'll tell you what even bothers me more than that for Detroit is – each of the last five Detroit opponents have scored at least four times, four scoring drives. Each of the last five opponents. So teams are scoring points against them. 10 of their last 11 opponents have scored at least 20 points with an average of 26 points per game against Detroit in those contests. And check out the pass defense, DC. Detroit's last five opposing quarterbacks have combined to complete 66% of their passes, averaging over 370 yards per game against the Lions. 9.6 yards per pass in those five games. Nick Mullins, he tore up the Lions. They played, they played Minnesota twice late in the season. Nick Mullins uh, went up against this Detroit defense, and in those two games, he combined to throw for 807 yards on 10 yards per pass. I mean, my gosh, I don't know how you shore that up in one week. I know Brock Purdy made some bad reads last week. I know that his team might not be here if a certain Green Bay defender doesn't drop which should have been a pick six but the fact the fact is they found a way to win they're here and the mix of cmc on the ground and the passing game should move the ball i think throughout this game again you know brock purdy the more experience he gets in the postseason, i think the better he's going to be when it comes to deciding on where to throw the football and where not to throw it and then again you know i was looking at a couple of receivers here that they played lately detroit tampa bay's mike evans 147 yards receiving against the lions with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. I'll take Brock Purdy over Baker Mayfield. And the Rams, well, Nakua, 181 yards receiving against Detroit. Even Jefferson for Minnesota, TC, finished with nearly 200 receiving yards the last time they played Minnesota. It was like a buck 97 through the air. So, Diebel or not, I think San Francisco is going to be too tough. Uh, you know, they're always around the top of the league this year when it comes to yards after catch. I think they'll be able to do damage there. And I'm going to throw one prop out there for you, TC. Brandon Ayuk, he's up to 80 and a half. I like him over his receiving yardage. I I think that, you know, San Francisco should put up quite a few points in this game. You might want to look at maybe even San Francisco over 29 and a half points in this contest. So you you can tell what I like here, and it's the San Francisco offense.
0: Listen, when Scott Spritzer speaks, this is not EF Hutton, okay? Everybody please be quiet. When he says wide receiver over or under, you listen to Scott Spritzer. I I can go back week after week after week. I am patting you on the back. I'm bowing to you, my friend. I'm high-fiving you. I'm pouring the champagne on your head, okay? You are you have been nails. Understand that? Nails. Ladies and gentlemen, he has been nails coming to these player props. The, you know what I mean? I never play player props. Okay? Even Super Bowl once in a blue moon. I am I am on to your bandwagon, my friend, on Super Bowl
1: Sunday. <laughs> and the tough part is is you gotta you know, if you're playing props in football, it's it's really tough because the props start coming out on Sunday night, Monday morning. And, you know, by the time even Wednesday rolls around, I mean, Brandon Ayuk, he could add him at 74 and a half. It's up to 80 and a half. I've seen as low as 78 and a half, but I still like it. You know, obviously 74 and a half would have been a much better number, but you really got to be like all over these props right from the get-go Sunday nights, Monday morning, because they move so much. And I don't dabble as much with NBA props, but NFL props have become a weekly play for me, TC, as you know. And, you know, last year we had, uh, last week, I should say, we had uh, Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs, the running back for Detroit to go over twenty two and a half, and he finished with forty through the air. Just a nice matchup advantage there with the running back catching the ball out of the backfield. So with all that hype, we'll see if we can still avoid the jinx and land in the wind column with Ayuk. <laughs> there you go, man. All right, real quick, uh, give me a college basketball winner tonight, Scott. All right, well, I got to preface this and wimp be a little bit of a wimp here and tell you that I wasn't crazy about tonight's card. Um, I like Northern Kentucky a little bit, but let's get rid of all that. Let's go, you know, let's go to the big seven footers home team, right? Oh, San Francisco, yeah. his alma mater. I'll throw this at you real quick. I took last night, late last night, small play, San Francisco plus the points. They were getting nine at the time. Uh, listen, the bottom line is this Don's team, 10th of the nation in two point shooting. And at the other end, they hold teams to less than 47% shooting. Gonzaga's not their typical offense this season. They struggle shooting the three, and they rely on the shot inside the arc. But San Francisco is very strong defending the two. I think I I really believe that the Zags are still a bit overvalued at the window. I think we're buying low a little bit here on the Dons. The caveat, the reason this wasn't like a a bigger play and just a small play for me, San Francisco's strength of schedule has been a little weak. That worries me. But, uh, again, I I got a little play on the Dons tonight, so – uh, let's get uh, the big. Maybe can the big guy suit up? He got the eligibility left. <laughs> uh, the, the the the
0: big guy will be uh, well. This game is on the road, so he won't be there. Uh, he, he doesn't want to go to the Pacific Northwest anymore. But uh, next time you, you watch uh, the big seven footer, a game at uh, the old War Memorial Gym in San Francisco, look on your right baseline, and you'll see him there, stretched out with a scarf around his neck. All right, I'll check that, it that, out. That that'll tell you that he's not ready to suit up
1: and his own security.
0: Yeah, his own private security, right there. Right? Oh,
1: you got all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And it's a female, you know, and she does, she does a great job of, of giving him water and, uh, you know, make sure that he's hydrated with a, with a towel in case he works up a sweat because he has that scarf on. There it is. Nubchuck, did you, re- you record this? You're, you're going to play Scott's handicap back for the seven footer.
1: <laughs> there we go. He's going to love you. Scott, you <laughs> might. Have... We're 10, by the way. It was 10. It's down to 9. There yeah. are a couple of 9 halves out there, but I still think the way to go is the dons tonight.
0: All right, brother. Be good. Have yourself a good weekend, and I uh, look forward to talking with you next week. All right, man. Take care, guys. There it is. Scott Spritzer, Magai.